Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Brian Croft, and you're on with the Dealership Fix-It podcast. We're on episode number 39, if that matters. Uh, tonight, I've got my three-peat uh, back. Randy Felice of ANS Motorcycles has agreed to come back another time and talk some real nut and bolt, in some cases very granular stuff that um, these are things that I don't know. Uh, obviously, that's why I, I've gotten an expert to share uh, some things that you will not get another dealer to sit down and tell you about. So if you want to know how to keep yourself out of trouble and that sort of thing in, uh, in your dealership, um, you better sit down, maybe take some notes, but uh, it'll be in a podcast, so you can always refer back to it. So uh, tonight, uh, Randy's on with me. Randy, thanks for coming on again. I appreciate that. Oh, it's been a blast doing this. I really appreciate you inviting me. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you. Um, we had talked about, um, you know, we've been on, this is the third one, and what we were talking about uh, going into tonight had to do with uh, compliance, uh, keeping yourself out of hot water. Um, you know, obviously you've been doing this long enough. Um, how hot does the hot water get that you're trying to stay out of? Well, you know, Brian, that's a good question because, uh, we went through pro most of our time as a dealership not knowing <laughs> the potential problems that we could have been involved in. We were really lucky that we got a controller from uh, an automotive dealership, and uh, she really woke us up to what we didn't know. And uh, I think most motorcycle dealerships don't realize uh that if you don't have a culture of compliance, uh, uh, if you aren't looking for ways to keep yourself out of trouble, uh, it can get pretty bad. I mean, it can be huge fines. It can be uh, jail time if you're doing it. Uh, they can prove that you were knowingly uh, breaking rules or laws. And uh, you know, I've met a lot of dealers, and I can tell you, I've I have shared a lot of this with them. And they have gone on to ignore it even after that. So, uh, I, you know, in some cases, it might even put our dealership at a disadvantage because we're so careful about all the uh, I dotting and T crossing. But in the end, I can sleep at night. Uh, last place I want to, last thing I want to do is pay a big fine or go to jail. So, yeah, it's very serious. Well, it's funny because, you know, I think about the places I've worked through the years, and, and one in particular's tagline there was the, and I've heard it elsewhere, but it's, uh, we sell fun, you know, obviously it's what we do, what we're the, what we're showing consumers that we want to tap them into, you know, is, is this lifestyle that includes uh, power sports and these other activities. But, you know, obviously like you're saying behind the scenes, it's a real business, real, uh, expectations from agencies <laughs> to do things right. And, uh, yeah, that's this. Uh, this should be. These should have. There should be a l whole bunch of uh, information in here for any of those that are currently in a role where this is important to them, and even those who uh, who work at a dealership who maybe listen to this for the parts side or the service side or sales in general. Um, these sort of conversations, I think, are for good for uh, for their uh, fifty thousand foot view and uh, their ability to to make themselves valuable to move into roles where these are obviously important pieces. That's part of their daily. So. 
what um, what would you think is you know you talked about advertising on uh, the previous one and I had given you a kind of a little story but uh, you know that's part of what I do and uh, where you know where do you go with the advertising front what what sort of agencies do you rely on to get that sort of information com- compiled well first I want to mention is uh, I was going to talk about compliance for the whole dealership and I realized just breaking off the sales piece would probably been where the most pitfalls are it would easily fill our time here tonight <laughs> so uh, everything here for the most part will be for sales but there's a whole bunch we haven't talked about for okay. the rest of the dealership also I've uh, listened to enough podcasts and uh, uh, about law to know that I need to say that I'm not a lawyer <laughs> and, and <neither laughs> all my I. advice is yeah. <laughs> and all my advice should be completely ignored <laughs> because I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> and uh, so therefore, with that, I will say what I've read from other people and gotten from the sources, but you need to go to your own lawyers and sources, your, your state and uh, federal and whatever you need to do to make sure you're, you're following the law. Don't take my word for it. <laughs> so we'll go from there. Uh, another thing I wanted to say is uh, the toughest part about some of the, one of the toughest part about being in compliance is there's two types of uh, compliance or laws that you have to watch out for. I mean, there's regulations which are clearly clearly stated by the regulatory uh, bodies like uh, FCC, uh, uh, your state government, whoever in California, the DMV board. I mean. You you know who is re- regulating you, and those and they have their rule books. But the other side is there's case law, and none of us are going to go out and read case law as things change. And uh, you could be doing something for the last four years that's completely uh, within the regulations of your state and federal and, and city, and then there could be a a case uh, in court that that uh, the results say that whatever you were doing is now is now uh, not legal. So you can never 100% protect yourself, uh, especially regarding employment law, which we're not going to get into tonight. I mean, that would be a whole different subject. So in terms of like the, ca- the case law piece of it, that would mean that what you need to expect yourself, you need to hold yourself to a standard where you've got yourself a good lawyer, right, that can well, watch what's going like on. If, you could be doing whichever you think is right. You can, all the regulations could be correct. Then there could be a case that goes to court at another dealership or another business. Okay. Uh, and for instance, in, in employment law, that would be how people are paid for commission, which we're not, you know, like I say, we're not going to get into that too deep. Mm-hmm. And then that that will be a regulation, or that will be a, a situation where you now have to comply with what that case law said, even though it wasn't written as a regulation before. So that's, I'm just saying there's lots of pitfalls and just knowing all the regulations doesn't necessarily mean that you're protecting yourself. And you'll have to talk to your lawyer about that. And and if you think anything seems a little uh, fishy and, you know, like if you're, you know, a good, my good example is in in employment law, if you're uh, paying 100% commission and no, 
overtime or hourly. That doesn't seem, you know, you can see why that may not seem like the right thing to do. And in mo- in many states, that's becoming not the right thing to do. So, and that was all based on case law, not on legislation. So okay. That's just, that's an example. Yep. All right. So we'll go go uh, talking about kind of the flow of sales. The first thing you do is you want to you want to uh, you want to grab some sales, and so you start advertising. Mm-hmm. And there are a whole list of rules and that you have to follow when you're advertising. And one thing that uh, that you uh, here's a a line which is uh, from the FTC that says the FTC guidelines do not preempt federal, state, or local laws. Although it should be noted that compliance with the state and local laws by an adverti- by an advertiser does not preclude the FTC from taking action under the FTC Act. So you might be following the rules of your uh, of your state, but be but you're breaking rules federally. So again, another mm-hmm. another case where uh, another case where you have to really be careful. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm trying to think of um, and they have examples where it's um, companies, right? So I'm thinking of a company I worked for before. Um, I'm here in Oregon, and I worked for a company that was here in Oregon, but we we were close to the Washington um, boundary. And in that time, right, I had to, this, in the case I'm talking about, it was like uh, marijuana was illegal, was legal in Washington, not legal at that point in Oregon. People would come to work and maybe lived in Washington, and they would show up and have a fender bender and get a drug test, and they would say, no, 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 I live in Washington. And it was, and this isn't exactly what you're talking about, but I know that obviously a company's policies needs to hold to the, I don't know if it's lowest common denominator is the right terminology, but they need to be to the most stringent, right, of them is what you're saying. Between federal and state, you need to know that if if one is more strict than the other, then that's your new standard, right? Yeah, or if, if, you're, if you're advertising in a way that, uh, that's legal one way and not the other, then you probably ought to just not do it. Even. Mm-hmm. You're not going to win that argument. Right. Okay, so here's a list of some things. Uh, we're really lucky because the end, uh, NADA guide, NADA has made a guide of, uh, of how to uh, properly advertise. These are federal rules, by the way. So, uh, let's see. When you're going to uh, advertise rate or payments or down payment, my recommendation is that you all, if, if you can't get that verbiage from the manufacturer, like when they put out a monthly program, then you probably shouldn't advertise it. You can, you know, one, one way you could possibly, I don't know if this you know, covers all the bases, is say special financing available, which mm-hmm. I don't see how you can get in trouble with that. But if you say 0% financing and this is your payment, uh, then you should definitely get those numbers from your manufacturer and not, not make them, let their lawyers be the ones who uh, put those together. Which might include a lot of fine print, right? But at that point, you know that some somebody's lawyered it out. They've looked at it and, and hopefully put you in a place where you're, you're not set up to fail. Yeah, there's and there's a good point too because fine print. It, there's even rules on how fine the print can be. Mm. Certain certain you know if you if you have 
one font size on the payment, then there's a, there's a required font size for what the uh, what the, uh, the requirements to get that payment on. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go through a list here of things that the FCC uh, watches for. Uh, you, you're not supposed to say anything is free, like get a free set of saddlebags when you buy this bike. You have to say they are included, included in the purchase. Unless, unless you're giving away bags for the people walking in the door, you're not, they're not free because something is required. Uh, because you're not handing you're not, them out when they walk in the door, right? You're, you're, it comes exactly. like you're saying that. It sounds obvious, but yeah, somebody could say, well, I walked in there and I didn't get the free thing I was told I was going to get, right? And that's, and they're going to sue you. Yep. Right. <laughs> and they'd win, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> Okay. And you and yeah, from way I understand is not only can they sue you, but you then can get fined as well. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Sweet, <laughs> <laughs> double whammy. Yeah. So uh, you're not allowed to, according to the FCC that I've read, uh, you're not allowed to uh, have an illegal lottery, which is uh, you can't say uh, you will be entered into this uh, giveaway for a trip or a new car if you buy a car in January, or a motorcycle. So you can't require, if you, dealerships are not allowed to raffle off vehicles, and they're not allowed to requ- require the purchase of anything to be involved in a lottery. Hmm. And I, can, I've, I went out searching, and I found a dealership in our, uh, in somewhere out there in the United States that is uh, requiring you to purchase a, a ticket for a new motorcycle, and... That's probably one of the bigger faux pas that a dealership can make because that's gambling and sweepstakes and all kinds of laws going into that. Well, we all know that they want that market cornered for themselves, right? That's what the yeah. <laughs> the government wants their the gambling <laughs> to be their baby. I yeah, totally get it. I wonder, so the dealer you said was doing what? They To purchase, to buy a motorcycle, you had to buy a ticket? Yep. No, no to, uh, to it, they were having a lottery uh, for a motorcycle and you had to buy a ticket. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. And okay. it didn't say it was a charity. Okay. Now, it may have been a charity, and I you know, I looked everywhere to try and find it, but I saw nowhere it was a charity, and they can certainly sell the motorcycle to a charity, and the charity can uh, raffle it. Yeah, and by the time you'd have to dig that deep to find that detail, obviously then they're not in compliance, right, in that in that sort of a scenario, because you'd have to be so upfront about that, right? If you I had assume it. so, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. You have to, if you can't, you can't even say that we sell motorcycles made in Germany or the USA because you can't be 100% sure you're in compliance with the percentage of the, of the product is made where you say it is. Oh, sure. So sourcing of, of it. you Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So I can't say uh, ANS, all of ANS Ducatis are made in Italy because they're not all made in Italy. We can get in trouble for that. Uh, let's see. Here's a one that I see all the time, especially uh, on places where uh, they sell vehicles, where they advertise vehicles like maybe Cycle Trader. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the dealer is advertising, uh, let's say there's a, let's say the dealer has decided to give $2,000 off, or let's say $1,000 off on a vehicle. They want to give a, a, a $1,000 off on a vehicle, and there's a rebate on the, on the vehicle. They can't say this ten thousand dollar bike is now eight thousand dollars. They can only say that this 
$10,000 like is $9,000 and there's a $1,000 rebate. Because that's not at time of sale. That's not the purchase price. That's an after the fact. Is that why? Yep, exactly. Okay. okay. That makes now sense. That, <laughs> yeah. Now in California, and I don't know, you know, every, I imagine the states or every state's different on how you do rebates, but in California, rebates are off the bottom line. It's vehicle plus fees uh, and tax, and then rebate off the bottom so that you're paying tax on the whole vehicle. Mm-hmm. So that's probably part of it, but also, uh, if, if you're advertising the price of a vehicle they want, the FCC wants it to be clear what the discount and what they rebate. Yeah, that's that's a hard one, right? I guess that's always something that I hear from. I mean, that's why when when so many phone calls from consumers come into dealers, they, you know, I see your price. What's it? You know, what's that include? Do I have to pay setup and freight? Do I have to pay? You know, they ask all the questions because that's not necessarily level playing field on how things are advertised, but. I guess these sort of agencies, that's what they're trying to do. But at the same time, you've got individual businesses that are trying to, you know, not be the same as their neighbor. <laughs> they're just trying to do what they feel like is a fair deal and bring customers to them. But I can see where that definitely could be problematic. Yeah, and you, wouldn't, you would think, you know, like I said, nothing, nothing about the law that I found is uh, intuitive. It's, 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 you, have, you have to go out and find out what is real, you know, what is what, because if you go off your gut feeling about the law, you'll probably be wrong. If you're applying common sense to it, is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, this is, this is the common sense thing to be, would be this. Oh, wait, sorry. I, my expectations yeah. are too great. That's why it's so hard to be able to become a lawyer, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's see. Bait and switch. I think this one we've all heard of a lot. You can't... Uh, you can't make an offer on on something to get some someone in to get to then knowingly try to switch them to to another product that you have. I don't know how deep that goes. I can't. I don't know if it's if you you just you buy a, a, a beat up old used motorcycle and you, and you advertise it specifically to get people in. I don't know how deep that rule goes. Basically, mm. switch, but but I think the the real really comes down to is advertising a vehicle you don't have okay, or, or isn't available for sale and then trying to switch them to another vehicle. It seems like, and obviously I'm not a lawyer either, right? So I'm not, I'm just speculating here, but it seems like that would fall under the category of why dealers are held to that sort of high standard of putting a stock number or something on a, uh, oh. what's essentially a loss leader or something that's obviously outrageously aggressive pricing, you know, and then they have to be real specific. This one only you know, a stock number such and such is you feel like that might be part of what it is so that it doesn't look like you listed this, you know, a week ago and now you don't have it. Well, no kidding. I sell bikes every day, but you know, to keep. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely why I think if I okay. remember right, and I, I forgot to, to look into this, but I think it's required that you put the miles in on a, on a, on a vehicle, the number miles, uh, year there's a certain there is a list of things you have and if i remember right miles is one of the things you have to be required to state so okay yeah there there is a, there is a whole list of rules and i should have looked them up i'm now it gets to be so it's so you do it every day you don't even think about it but yeah there's well no, i think know what has been your ad and i think for you know for our uses i mean we can really get way in the weeds and i enjoy this level of depth because this is obviously a very specific topic um but 
Um, obviously, we got a conversation started, and then you know you get um, these different dealers in different parts of the country that then they they've got more questions that they need to get answered, and they can go in and start to look into it for their specific locale. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that one falls under the SEC, which is federal. So, okay. should be you know like there like I say, if you go to NADA and uh, and advertising guy, Google that, you'll come up on this PDF, multi-page PDF, and it should answer all those questions. Yep. You know, and I can share that um, within the, when I send the, when this obviously is listed and, and you're looking at the, the notes from it, it should be, the link should be within there, so. That's good. All right, next one is bird dogging. Uh, I, I didn't, I, I thought this was a California-only rule, but bird dogging is when you uh, entice your customers or anybody who's not a salesperson uh, to send uh, to send customers your way by paying them. Now in California, that's specifically not legal. I can't tell a customer if you bring me another customer, I'll give you hundred dollars. That's specifically stated. And I thought that was just California, but it, I was, did, did do some research and found out that there is probably a uh, there's no federal laws. But there's probably a state regulation in most states that doesn't allow that. So how is that? That's different than referring somebody, right? And obviously, we're gonna. I'm not a lawyer. Splitting hairs again here, but <laughs> so that's different. That's different than um, than the referral, right? If you're paying for a referral, it's bird dogging in California, at least for sure, okay. and you can't do it. Paying because, for a referral, okay. Yeah, because in California, you have, one of the things is you have to be a salesperson. You have to uh, register with. Oh, that's right. You have to be DMV. registered and and certified or whatever, right? Right. So okay. if you're if you have you're paying people to to send you send you referrals, then you're act, acting as a salesperson. Okay. So that's why. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense, I guess. I guess I'd, um, I'd be curious to know, and not, obviously we're not going to get into that now, what other states or what. I'm out here on the West Coast with you. I don't know if Oregon, no, no one's probably as strict as California, right? But, um, right. but I'd well, be I, curious to know. Yeah, I did Google it and, and, and had a, uh, uh, someone who had done the research on it. He says he found almost every state had some sort of regulation against it. Okay. So, but, like I say, that's, you know, I, I can only get into the generalities. So, sure. You know. Yep. Yep. All right. Next one we have is uh, certified pre-owned. So the laws state that you can only, the best, uh, my, rec, uh, my understanding of it is, only manufacturers can have a manufacturer's certified pre-owned. And you should be very careful not to imply or have it appear that you're implying that you are selling a certified pre-owned that's backed by the manufacturer when it isn't. So I have found at least a few dealers, who I did some searching, that have their own certified pre-owned programs. Mm-hmm. And I think, and when I talked to our uh, our lawyers, they said you may call it uh, Bill's certified pre-owned, but if anybody got misled and you go to court over it, there's if they got misled, that can be considered as proof of that it was misleading, right? Mm. Okay. So I would, from what I found, is you should not have certified pre-owned unless your manufacturer has a certified pre-owned 
program. I don't. I think Harley Davidson might be the only one that has that. I know that uh, none of my manufacturers do. Yeah, I wonder why. Um, you know, an automotive obviously that's a big profit center for them to be able to take a yeah. used vehicle that they can say, okay, it checks these how many boxes? I don't know how many boxes they got to check for the thing to qualify for it qualifies for that requires this additional inspection or whatever. And then you can say that it's this. And obviously then they've got peace of mind that the probability of the thing melting down within the next year or so is lo- is low. But I wonder yeah. why in, in, in power sports, none of the men, you know, like if you're saying Harley, that seems to ring a bell, like Harley had something like that or, or has, but I guess um, I wonder why the other manufacturers here haven't wanted to touch that, but. Well, I did participate in one of the first motorcycle programs. The BMW had a certified pre-owned for a couple of years. Okay. But of course, you had to you had to enroll a bike into it, and it cost you money. And at the, and at the time, we could sell pre-owned bikes for, <laughs> you know, they were so they were so valuable and easy to sell. There was no reason to spend the money to certify them. Right. Okay. So that's why that program failed. And okay. every time I see another manufacturer, uh, like Ducati and Triumph, both considered it. When they, they realize that the bike is there's only so many used motorcycles out there, you know, it, and so it, it just, the dealers are the ones who would have to take it on, and and it would, it matter, if they don't enroll anything, then the program doesn't work. So. Right. Yep. All right. Next one is uh, fuel economy claims. If your your fuel economy claims for a vehicle should become directly from the manufacturer, and I've noticed that most of the motorcycle manufacturers are pretty careful about not having fuel economy. Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I, would, you know, I would be really careful about advertising anything around that. Although you see it uh, a lot, right? I mean, you still see up to, you know, that sort of whole deal. But And that's fine if the manufacturer stated that, and you can point to that. I would assume it's fine. I mean, I might be wrong. I might, If the manufacturer uh, makes a claim and they get in trouble and you also advertised it, you may be in trouble as well. Who knows? Yeah, between that and horsepower ratings, right? There, there are areas where somebody might generalize, eh, this is about that, but you're right. They don't, the manufacturers aren't real good about pushing those. You know, I guess I don't know why they, <clears throat> what they would expect that the variance off of that number could easily get them into hot water. You know, so you, I mean, I, I remember only like last year, Hyundai and uh, Kia both got. You know, they got their economy numbers wrong, and it was you know, a big fine for them. So. Oh, geez, yeah. All right, so pricing and fees. Uh, you have to look in your uh, – this is probably really regulated by the state, and, and in California, we can't put uh, – on our hang tags, for instance, we can't put uh, – we can't put handling charges. We have to put – uh, additional dealer margin, but there's also regulations about what you can what you can call your dealer fees and how you state them, and that might be state by state, uh, might be might be all SEC as well, part of SEC. But make sure I would be very clear that of all the fees that you're going to charge, and then make sure you charge those fees in a uniform manner, so that you're not uh, showing any discrimination. Okay. And in, in California, are you required to have hang tags on the bikes, or can it be like, yeah, oh, I there's none? The, like, I think we're the only state that's required to have hang tags. Like okay. California is doing something 
uh, watch out. Uh, yeah, oh, sure, it's coming. <laughs> it's probably in Oregon next, that means, because we're neighboring yeah. you, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, tough. Yeah, but so, Well, it's, that's an area where, you know, you think about, obviously, the, the experience and it ends up being a confusing point if, if for no other reason that the, you know, it's confusing to the customer, but it looks like a little bit of a, I don't know if it's Keystone cops is the right sort of scenario, but you know, Hey, what, what do you guys get? Well, we get as much as we can. What are you offering? You know, like obviously it's, it's that sort of, uh, it's not all black and white. It's all, which, you know, consumers hate or most of them hate. Uh, but yeah, that's an area where, you know, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't be against hang tags. It requires somebody to do the work, you know, up front, get it all on there, make sure they're all right, continue to look at them and make sure that it's, it's what it should be. It's the proper pricing and all these different uh, lines on it. But Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, when we, when you first start getting into learning all the compliance rules, if, you know, at first you're like, I, why do I have to do all this? But now it's like, yeah, I get it. Every customer should be treated equally. Right. They should get the same. They want, there shouldn't be let's make a deal on fees. They should be right. clear and, and if, if it's a fee, then you should charge everybody the same. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just that's just good business. I, I, we, I remember a time when we didn't put you know any we didn't price our used bikes and you'd sell sell them for whatever you can get out of them, but it's just not the right way to do it. And of course, the internet that was never a legal thing. It's still not a legal thing in California is to having hang tags on used bikes, but everybody's used to the internet now, so mm-hmm. you, you, you show all the flaws and the blends and the, and the actual price you're charging for it, and you do business the right way. Mm-hmm. Yep. So here's a, a little, uh, this is one of my favorite little stories about compliance that uh, really shows how you can almost never know, know it all, or, or, and, you, and none of it makes sense. So in California, the hang, we have to have hang tags. If you want to have handling charge or a frit or a PDR charge or whatever you want to call it, you have to call it additional dealer margin. It has to be on a separate hang tag. It has to be on the handlebars. And if you uh, and those so those two tags, they cannot be on the same hook or clasp or zip tie. They have to be on separate uh, zip ties so that you don't confuse the customer into thinking it's one contract or one hang tag. <laughs> that's, the, that's the most extreme case of you won't believe this <laughs> that, that, I, that we've come up in and just mind-boggling. That's crazy. And believe it or not, yeah. I, it's rare that I go into a dealership and I go to a lot picking doing deal trades uh-huh. that anybody's doing it right. I can tell you we do it right, but I rarely see another dealer that's doing it right. Has to be provided by the manufacturer. It can't be modified. The, the the they call it a Monroney. They can't be modified by the dealer, and any modifications have to be done on a separate hang tag. That's that's uh, easy to see and not connected to the first hang tag. Well, I could see that that's as an California. advantage. I could see it as an advantage where obviously then that stands out and it you know it pops out if you've got some whatever additional things like if you added accessories on or whatever, right? That it yeah, gives that thing the end. differentiation, and that way it's a positive thing that it stands out that way. It's not just blends in like, oh, I didn't know this had this bolt-on pieces on it. You know, f- three grand worth of added stuff. You know, it's obvious in the tagging. But is that is that the same with uh, automotive? Then are they required to do that in automotive? They could have a whole new window sticker next to the other window sticker. Yeah. 
Yeah, they call it a label. So okay. yeah, it'll be the Monroney, and then the label is the additional dealer items. And they all, everybody in the state, the, the car dealers, they all do it exactly right. Okay. But, uh, you know, customers walk into our dealership and they see additional dealer margins instead of instead of a PDI charge, and they think we're, you know, and, and we have to explain to them, we're following the rules. All the other dealers that you went to where they had PDI charge there, they're not following the rules. And right off the bat, the first thing you know about us is we follow all the rules. So you can, you can, you can trust us. Mm-hmm. We do your contracts. Everything we do will be by the book. Mm-hmm. So it can be a negative at the start. And then if they, if they're, if they're willing to listen, it can be a positive. Well, following the rules, then you screw it up for everybody else. Then everybody else is right. I'm sure you've heard that already from some other guys. Oh, sure. <laughs> you're following the rules. Well, I don't want to go to jail. Thank you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, at that point, then you, you become the, what do they call that? The the uh, first domino, right? That causes all the other ones to have to follow suit. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, very few people do follow suit, you know. And, and I think we, you know, we're all we should all, you know, we like we're part of the California Motorcycle Dealer Association. And we should all get together, to learn our business, and be as responsible as the automotive industry is, mm-hmm. and bring up the level of the way people think of. Motorcycle dealers, instead of, I'm sure we've heard it, motorcycle stealers, right? Yeah. Stealership. Yeah, that's an old one. Yeah. I mean, automotive, I think, is where I ever first heard that. But, yeah. yeah but shockingly, it's, kills yeah. Me it. Yeah, well, yeah, and because it's not, you know, ultimately, it's it's the, the margins, the, the profit margins on motorcycles, for example, are never what consumers imagine. Oh, it's, it's $10,000? Okay, would you take five? Like, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> this isn't clothing. I'm not selling you clothes at the at the store, you know. Yep. We have we have one of the most difficult jobs there is and then we don't we don't nobody wants to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, shouldn't say that. We do have we do have you we have great great deals and, and and tight deals and we only remember the tight ones, right? Right. <laughs> 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 okay, so now we can go on to uh, sales contract law. You ready for that? Absolutely. Okay. So this is when you're putting the, your deal together. There's a lot of federal rules that apply to that. And I don't know any other states than California, so I've tried to keep away from anything that uh, has to do with uh, a state law, except for I will um, – I'll uh, – Note a few of them because if it's happening here, it will probably happen in your state eventually. And if not, uh, there's lots of California dealers listening, I'm sure. So they'll get that advantage. Uh, so we talked about last time the Military Lending Act. Mm-hmm. You know, allowed to sell, not allowed to sell GAP to the anybody in the military or who is a dependent of military. And it's the dealership's responsibility to go to the, uh, uh, the military. MLA site, you have to, it used to be, it was open to everybody, but now you have to register. It's free, but you have to register to uh, put the customer's uh, information in. I believe it's social security number and name. That, so you have to, and then you show that they're not in the military, and then you print that out, and then you can offer that customer gap if they, if they are not in the military or if mm. they're not dependent. And you see, we have, I was talking about checklists in the first 
time we talked. And mm-hmm. these, you can see now why checklists are so important because, Absolutely. first of all, you can you can link every one of these sites that you have to go visit, and you and you make it in a check part mm-hmm. of the checklist. The next thing is the OFAC, Office of Foreign Assets Control. So it's our job to make sure that we're not selling anything to anybody who is a terrorist. And if you really follow the letter of the law, even the parts counter should be doing this, although realistically nobody does and and probably nobody will. But if you're selling a vehicle, you need to, to make put run their uh, information through the OFAC and then print out to show that they're not their name is not on there. You, if it's you know John Smith, it's going to come up most likely. So then you got to get the put the address in and keep refining it until you show either it is or isn't. And you absolutely can't sell some something to somebody uh, on the OFAC list. Hmm. And in case anyone thinks this is a uh, a ridiculous or not real step, I got a list here of the twenty nine. 19 enforcement information, uh, people have been fined. It's right off their website. Small companies or smaller, you know, companies like Elf Cosmetics paid $996,000. Uh, uh, let's see. Hotel Beds paid $222,000. These are fines that they paid for not for selling to somebody who was on the OFAC list. And there's a, you know, there's, there's big companies, bankers and, and uh, Western Union. So it's a real thing. You might be selling a motorcycle to somebody who's going to use it for their own purpose, and they're on the OFAC list. They're not going to use it for a terrorist purpose, and you're still going to be in trouble. Yeah, they're still on the list, right? Yep. So most dealers that I've run into do not do that. Car dealers, yes. I, I don't think I've run into any motorcycle dealerships for doing it. Uh, next one is the $10,000 cash form. So uh customer wants to... Buy a motorcycle and gives you more than $9,999. You've got to fill out a form with their social security number and turn and turn it in that, that you took that amount of cash. And here's the one that really trips up most dealers. They think that uh, they're clear if the customer spent $99.99. But if they came in any time during the, the rest of that same year and spent $1 in cash, you're out of compliance. $10,000 per year. Oh, per customer per year? Per customer, yep. Okay. And most people don't realize that. Uh, let's see. Here's a one that's more of case law than a regulation. Of course, it's different by state to state. Let's say a uh, customer buys a bike and does not get liability insurance and rides away. Uh we have we have someone sign we have them sign a form saying they understand they have to have liability insurance and liability insurance is acquired by law in uh, in California. So you think that w- it would be on the customer, but we actually had a customer who uh, tricked one of our salespeople into saying they had liability insurance and they did not have liability insurance and they went and got in an accident and uh, uh, we end up having to be responsible for some of that even though it wasn't a specific law. So uh, in, uh, it isn't a law that we were supposed to to make sure, but our lawyer recommended that we take care of, of that. So if, even if your state doesn't say you, that you should make sure your customer has insurance in place, I would recommend that you do. 
if you're law, not, of course you have to just, maybe it's not legal for you to make sure in your state. I don't know, but. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess that, that could be another, you know, way to look. I, when I was in at dealers in Texas, I remember having customers leave and with motorcycles. I mean, I wasn't in sales. I was in uh, parts or service, but you know, having a motorcycle leave and guy would be riding the motorcycle out the, out of the dealership. And within whatever, a few days, he's back with a wadded up motorcycle out of the ditch, you know? And my assumption was, okay, so yeah, this, you know, is this an insurance deal or like, oh no, no, I don't have any insurance. You don't have any insurance. No, I have no, I don't even have a motorcycle license. What? I don't, and I don't know if that's something where, you know, Texas is just that much an outlaw state, (laughs) you know, versus like a California in this case, but, uh, or if it was a matter of, you know, they pulled some trickery or whatever, but, um, you know, I think back then I, I, they would show up if the person uh, shows up and hands me a check, they write off with their toy. That's the impression I got. And I remember thinking, well, that's wacky. And since then, I've obviously learned that that's not the way, at least I don't know in Texas, but in some places they, um, as you're saying, like you require, like I got to see, you know, that you've got the endorsement, maybe you've got the insurance. I don't know how particular they are with endorsements, but in California, but. Well, that was one of my next steps. Is, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> we make sure if, you, if a person doesn't ride off, doesn't have a motorcycle license, we can sell a motorcycle, but we have to have a statement of fact how the motorcycle left. Either we delivered it, friend rode it away, they put okay. it on a trailer. Okay. And I don't know. Like I say, I'm not sure. I'm you know I know 100 percent we do we, we you know that it's either case law or regulation that we make sure that that we do that protect ourselves mm-hmm. but i don't think anybody should any dealership should let a customer leave uh, on a motorcycle without a license you're representing yourself as an expert that's that's the, what you know, my opinion is so if you tell let someone leave without a license i think you're you're condoning it mm-hmm. yeah i agree and that you know yeah so uh let's see so uh course that that was about we talked about insurance before now obviously you have to have uh if you finance a motorcycle then you also then and the and it's uh secured then you'll have to have full coverage insurance and you'll want to you know all those rules are obvious you won't get funded if you don't have the proper insurance in place right so liability is separate than than the insurance required for the for the uh financing Uh i also wanted to make a point uh, when you're setting up financing for a for a customer, the unit for a for the time between you said that wrote the paperwork to the time you've got it funded from the to the to the the bank, that short amount of time you're actually holding the paperwork. You're you're holding the more the uh, the loan on that bike. Mm. So think about you know that you're acting in a way like a lender. So. There's lots of rules and regulations that go with that, and a lot of responsibility. When you think about that, for that period of time, you're you're responsible for the lean on that bike. So you really want you don't want to guess at this stuff. You really want to know what your your the laws in your state are. All right. The next one is uh, offering all products. To all customers, this one has to do with uh, discrimination. So you th- you offer uh, a menu of 
products to a customer and if you offer GAP other than military to some people and not to others, then you and for some someone could construe it as being discriminatory, then you could be in trouble. So when mm. you offer any product to, to someone, you should offer them all. You can explain to them how you know if you you know you can explain to them the situations in which they'd be beneficial and that and there's situation it may not be beneficial so you can but you should they should be allowed to purchase it if you offer it let's see uh if you gave a customer an incentive uh, from the manufacturer or even if you gave an incentive from your dealership like let's say you're running a special with free helmet with motorcycle not free but included helmet with motorcycle Mm -hmm. and then they buy a motorcycle from you and they say, you know, I already have a helmet. Can I have $400 uh, instead? And you should fill out a, a form, a customer incentive acknowledgement form. We have a template that we use. You can get, you can find them, I believe, from Reynolds and Reynolds or NADA. So anytime you've given a customer any incentive, you should have them sign they got that incentive or something else instead. So that when the dust settles and they don't remember how they got to where they got, you've got a, something that covers you that says, you took this incentive or you took this incentive. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. When they're, uh, when all the endorphins go away from their fun purchase, right, and they're back to their real life and working and they're not <laughs> riding their toy or whatever, and then they're, yeah, they get critical about something and look and they're, they're certain that they didn't get everything they were supposed to because they saw an advertisement or whatever. Yeah, I, get, I totally get where that would be. You know, we're all on the same page. And I feel like I've signed a form uh, here in Oregon the same way uh, in the past for whatever it was, whether it was a, some sort of additional incentive from the dealership or from the manufacturer, like whether it's like, you know, you bought a Honda and you got some bonus bucks or whatever. Like, here's the form to say you got bonus bucks that's in the deal, you know. Yeah. But it's good. Everybody's on the same page, like you say, then that way. Refer back to your paperwork before you come mad because that's, yeah, you know, we're all It'll always help above board. <laughs> Yeah, it'll always help. You know, it'll always protect the dealership. You know, and, and you'll feel better doing it. And then it helps you make not make mistakes. So you make sure they got all the incentives they're supposed to get. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, in California, and I don't know about other states, you have to apply rebates uh, correctly. So if the manufacturer says that they manufactured a customer rebate, you have to be sure that the rebate comes off at the right point so that, uh, like in California, it has to come off the bottom of the deal so that the taxes are paid on the full amount of the bike mm-hmm. instead of deducting it from the, uh, MS, sort of the MSRP or the selling price of the bike. And the funny thing about this one is, is uh, you would think that the banks would be watching this and they don't. So it's up to you to make sure that you're taking the rebates the correct way. So a manufacturer to dealer rebate can be taken as a as a uh, discount off of the bike, and not as a, and not off the bottom. It, of course, you have to check your state. But if you've been advertising that that uh, you've been advertising that rebate and telling everybody about it and saying it's part of the of the deal, then you might want to take it as a customer rebate because you're promoting it mm-hmm. to everybody. So. That's 
when you don't check to your with your your lawyer about. Hmm. Okay, uh, rate participation. Uh, so the uh, they've definitely been tightening down on banks and dealers to make sure that you do not if you add a point to the loan that you're add, you would have added that point to everybody and not just the people you think you can get it from because that was because of discrimination so uh, you can go to the uh, NADA www.nada.org slash fair credit and you have you're supposed to build the whole process inside your dealer and make sure that you're always offering everybody the same pro, uh, amount of markup that is your dealer's uh, stated uh, policy. You cannot just say this customer looks like they'll pay two percent, uh, and this customer, oh, he's they're they're, uh, they're too careful. They they won't pay that two percent. Has to be the same amount. Is that something that can be automated in like Lightspeed or somewhere that you wouldn't have to? I mean, obviously, you'd still be particular about watching for it because you're never held to that standard. But is that something that the system can automate, where, or is it just something that the guys just have to know? Here's the procedure. This is what we do. I think you have to use a form that has the right verbiage. You can, I think you can print a form out of Lightspeed, possibly, but okay. it's probably easier just to have that on your sure. in your uh, your drive linked to your checklist. So you can print it out off the checklist if it's. Uh, the form, I found the forms that are in Lightspeed, you're less likely to remember because you have to go in and dig for them. If the forms are connected directly to your checklist, if, because you have to fill it out anyways, they're easier to print out because you're on that point of the checklist. Click on it and print it out. That's how we have it anyway. What does, I'm curious what the, what they allow for markup. Like what is the, what is the, does California have a particular on what they allow uh, you to do? My God, my number is right. It's two percent. Okay. It might be two point five. It's changed. I mean, uh, I can't remember. It was a three. I think it. I think it might be two point five. But a lot of the lenders have a, a built-in uh, no, you know, a flat fee or uh, one or one. Uh, so I mean, we have our policy. We know it's within. So I don't even think about what the max is. Sure. We have to ask you the same all the time, but yeah, you want to check your state for what the max is. Okay. All right. Uh, if you accept credit applications, you should accept a credit application for anybody who wants to put a credit application in. It's not a good idea to say, uh, if you don't think you got credit, credit, don't waste my time. I don't want to. I don't want to put in your application because again, of uh, discrimination. Mm-hmm. And along those lines. You definitely don't want to coach anybody on how to fill that application out. Hmm. You don't want to fill the application out for them. You don't want to lie on the application. You don't want to, you know, anything, it, all that information has to come from the customer's hand or their computer. And uh, you would never be involved in the process of transferring that information about their credit to the civil lender. It has to come from them. Yeah, I can see that being a problem. <laughs> yep. And that's one of the biggest F&I problems, coaching and lying on credit applications. I know lots of people get, I mean, I've heard, read in, you know, in uh, uh, news stories, many people get in trouble for this one. Uh, let's see. Uh, 
course, you want to make sure you're, uh, the person that you're financing, uh, taking the application from is the person who's actually going to use the vehicle. That's straw purchase. You don't want to do a straw purchase. I mean, so that's another very common mistake. Uh, if someone gets turned down, uh, even if the lender that turned them down sends the adverse action form, which means a form that, that says, you were turned down, and there's a whole bunch of processes in this, and I can't, I'm not going to say them all here, but you want to do the adverse action process, give the customer, tell them that they were turned down and why, and even though the manu even though the lender is providing that, the dealer is required to provide that as well. An actual form, or just, you're talking about the, the actual, what, like it's what they a, typically would mail to them, right? It would go to them in the mail or whatever. Uh, you, they, like I say, the, the lending company is going to send it out, but you need to get one that, uh, and I think you can get that from Reynolds and Reynolds possibly, or NADA, make sure you get it from a reputable source and fill it, fill that out completely and you, and you mail it to them or give it to them on the spot if you want to. All right. Uh, if you sell vehicles out of state. I know, at least I know at least California and I know Washington and I know there's others where even though the customer is trailing it away, the vehicle away in California, you take possession of the bike in California, you have to pay sales tax in California. I'm fairly certain there are many other states that are the same way. And some states have reciprocal sales tax, many of them that if you pay sales tax in one state, it's already considered paid in the, in the state they're registering it in. But you'll have to look those up case by case, and I certainly can't uh, tell you which ones they are. And it's ever moving, right? That's a, that's even here in Oregon, between Oregon and Washington, they had some changes in that in the last couple of years. And um, yeah, customers were finding it like, wait, oh, wait. <laughs> no, no, I, if I come to Oregon and buy, and I'm a Washington resident, buy that dirt bike, then I don't have to pay tax. And then, of course, dealers are like, you might want to check with your state on that. And, of course, then they found out that the law changed. And sure enough, the manufacturers, I guess, had to report to the state or agreed to report to the state. So if you're a Washington resident, for example, and you bought a dirt bike in Oregon, and you go back having paid no tax because we don't have sales tax here, go back to Washington, and then you get a bill in the mail three months later or whatever it is for the tax. <laughs> from Washington because yep. they want their money. So that, that was new as of two years ago, I think, or a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah, the sales tax rules are changing quickly now because of Amazon and yep. other large, you know, all the internet. Uh, yeah, they, they, we, um, they're trying to find ways to charge sales tax in every which way. So if it seems, you know, we cannot, you cannot, you cannot rely on your customers to do it the way they say. You have to know the laws and the rules. And, uh, you know, I don't know if DMV Desk is California only or it's a, it's a computer program that helps you with a lot of that, registering and, and uh, figuring out sales, sales tax. But, some, you know, we still have to call DMV in different states to find out. Even mm. uh, with all the technology we have, it's not that easy to figure out unless you make the call. <laughs> call the DMV. Good yeah. luck. <laughs> 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 Hope you got some time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's a list of uh, not maybe not all, but some of the I, some of the things you need to be careful of with sales doing a sales contract. Uh, 
The next one is Customer Information Security, CIS. We are lucky enough, as I mentioned, is that we are, have a whole program that helps us with all of our, much of our compliance. And uh, you are supposed to build a customer information security plan that tells the, uh, that tells regulators, your customers, your employees, how you take how you protect the, your customers' information uh, regarding social security number, uh, driver's license, income, any and the, the best uh, description of customer information that should be secure is, if you're not sure, secure it. Uh, typically, any, the, the rule of thumb has been, if you can find that information in the, in the yellow pages or the uh, internet equivalent, it's probably not uh, uh, something you need to worry about, but I would still, just as a matter of practice, even uh, name, address, phone number, I would try to keep that protected as much as you can. I mean, it's tough if you're service advisor and you got six ROs on your desk, but driver's license, social security number, income, those are absolutely positively 100% can never be left out um, for someone to steal. Okay, yep. Uh, recently in California, a dealership was fined $100,000. Technically, it's $3,500 per sheet of paper left out that if it's picked up by a regulator. So if you left out a deal jacket and had the uh, their income, their driver's license, and their social security number, that's thirty five hundred times three. <laughs> so uh, how uh, serious we we have done uh, is uh, we have a safe that is bolted to the wall next to every uh, salesperson, and so the. Uh, the safe, you know, they can put, the, that's where you put your documents if you have to leave for even a moment. But even if you gave a credit application uh, to a customer and they filled it out and then left and then you were out looking for accessories for them and they walked away and left their credit application on your desk, you're responsible for that. Mm-hmm. You're responsible if they left the, they uh, got out of the writing gear and left the writing gear uh, and took their wallet out and left it on your desk, you're responsible for that. At least from what I've been able to ascertain. So once they're in your dealership, you have to make sure that neither you nor they leave their information vulnerable. Hmm. Yeah, you're held to a really high standard, right? At that, I mean, obviously oh, yeah. with all that just being discussed, obviously the, the expectation is people are in there, their guard is down, they're throwing you all their, you know, super secret information with whatever, if it's licensed, you know, credit card, I don't know if credit card is part of that, but... Um, you know, like you said, uh, social and income and all these pieces of information that you're supposed to safeguard. But even in even in cases where, like you're saying, if they had set it down in your desk and you weren't at your desk, that's that's seems very stringent. But I can see why. But it still seems on the really strict side. But again, California. I'm I guess I'd be curious to know how other if other states are. You know that way or just headed that way as we expect, right? This one's all federal. Oh, that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Everything on customer information security is all federal rules. Yeah, I know. It's like car dealers, if you go there, they got uh, locks, uh, combination locks on the, on the F&I office. Yep. And so do we. So do we. So here's, the, it gets even crazier. So hang on. 
So if you have a server in your building and it's got any customer information on it, your server has to be behind a locked door. Your screen you should have screen savers with passwords on them, so that uh, and the screen should should because uh, you keep even if you left your computer up on the wrong screen and someone got off of that, you're responsible. Mm -hmm. So the screen saver should close down pretty quickly, and then you have to use a password to get in. The customer calls in with a credit card, or uh, uh, and they want to put a deposit on a motorcycle, or even at your desk. You walk them over to the credit card machine and you have them insert the card and or uh, if you're on the phone you have them read the card number and you type it into the into the uh, credit card machine while they're on the phone you never write that information down mm -hmm. I can see that making sense for sure yep uh, we talked about the safes near the desk and uh, when the sales deals go into any of the offices or in, in storage then those, you may, you know, like we used to have our sales deals in one of our warehouses and we realized, oh, we're only, they're only one door away from, you know, some breaks into the, through that door in that warehouse. Although we're following all the rules, if they get in and take the information, you're still responsible. So we moved it all, all that away from this warehouse that the doors opened up into the, into the uh, parking lot into a place I won't mention that's very mm -hmm. hard to get to. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, and if you keep uh, a year's worth of sales deals, let's say, in an office, only those people who are, who need to know, I mean, salespeople, F&I people, uh, managers should be allowed into that office. A parts person should never be allowed into the a place where the sales deals are locked up. Uh, and you can use different passwords, you know, different, you know, uh, that's why we use you know, uh, different keys and different passwords for different offices. If a ma fax machines, uh, if information is coming over the fax machines, then they should be in secure places and so that the information coming to them is not accessible. Uh, you should even... Uh, Program if you if you fax if you fax over credit applications I can't imagine that you would in this day and age but if you do send uh, personal information you should make sure you program in the correct phone number and not push the number in one button at a time in case you make a mistake and accidentally fax someone's personal information into someone who you wasn't meant to go to. Mm -hmm. No turning back then. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, so you sent your. Uh, customer has done an online application, which is, believe it or not, still legal. <laughs> and you've received it securely through your website. Now you need to make sure that they are who they say they are, because that, that becomes part of red flag laws, which we'll go over next. And so you need to get their driver's license. They can't, you can't ask them to email it to you because that's not secure. You could ask them to text it to you, theoretically, but how are you going to print it out? You can't email it to yourself. You could Wi-Fi it to the printer. We, we have done that, and that is uh, technically legal because we were uh, having a customer. We had a special iPod, and they were texting us like, the copy of the driver's license, and we were Wi-Fiing it. Uh, on a, we're securely Wi-Fiing it to a, to a uh, printer and then printing it out that, but that got pretty complicated so we then 
uh, got a secure document process called Dropbox. There's probably several other companies. But if you need to get secure, if you need to pass secure information around, and in our business you do, you need to subscribe to some company like Dropbox, and you can securely get um, obtain the driver's license. So you also did you say that you you couldn't get that via email and have it be legit? It would, but via text it would work. That's correct. Email is not secure. Okay, There's but no, texting now is. Now, using texting is considered secure okay. at this time. But then you had the problem is to print it out, you have to find a way to get out of your phone, right? right? Your, your iPod. Oh. And uh, we were using iPods because you can't require someone to use their phone. You know, so, oh, sure, yeah, it's uh, a company yeah, device then for exactly. them. So, but then that, how do you get it out of there to print it out? Because you've got to have a copy of that in your deal. Right. So, that, uh, so that's why we went to the Dropbox. And we use it. You start finding other other things you need to send securely, so it comes in comes in useful. Okay, so then uh, let's see. You also have to be careful when you're uploading required information to the manufacturers. You have to be careful what what the manufacturer asks you because they don't necessarily, you know, the manufacturer is not the lender. There's BMW Financial Services and there's BMW North America. BMW North America says, uh, send us a copy of your of the customer's driver's license. Or their pay stub to get so they can, to prove that they are eligible for this particular rebate. Well, you know, if you don't have a secure way to upload that to get it, you know, take to you know, I'm sure what some people do is they take a picture of the driver's license and email it themselves and then upload it into the into the uh, the rebate system. Well, that would be insecure. Mm. So it's got to be scanned and uploaded directly from that same computer to do that correctly. And you should never upload someone's social security number to the manufacturer, even if they ask for it. And if you, if and, and we've never had a case where they, you know, are they now uh, like BMW has a program where they want a time and leave statement, but they make sure you scratch out the uh, the social security number. Don't send that to them. Or if it's a military program, you don't want a copy of their military ID. They used to require that. You definitely don't want to send that around. Okay, for the same reasons. Yep. Okay, so here's the, uh, at the end of the day, every day, I do a uh, end-of-day checklist to make sure that uh, uh, our employees are not leaving this information around. I'll read off the checklist because it, it definitely shows you how careful you have to be. And you shouldn't just do it at the end of the day. You should do it in the middle of the day, too, because sometimes the employees are really good about locking all that information up at the end of the day, but leave it out during the middle of the day. So you And you definitely want to write somebody up if they ever break this rule so you can have proof. If someone's going to break it, you know, they're going to leave something out. You've got to catch them. You've got to show that you, do, that you document it and you're not standing for it. Mm-hmm. So the, check, the checklist is uh, computers have strong passwords for access. Computers are shut down or protected by screensavers. They're required strong passwords. All passwords are locked away. Uh, I recommend uh, something like LastPass uh, or another password uh, program that securely locks all your passwords up and maintains them so that they're not being written down and left, left out. Uh, all computer disks with customers' information locked away. That's probably old school. I don't know who keeps 
no documents with customer information were left on desk. No documents were left near the fax machine with customer information. No documents not shredded with customer's information is in the trash container. All file cabinets containing customer's information are locked. Keys that are given access to customers with uh, customer's information are stored in a secure location. For instance, I said we had little safes by everybody's uh, desk, right? Mm-hmm. And those are, I, I got the push button pads, but if that pad fails, you know, batteries go bad. There's also a key uh, that you can open them up with, but you can't give the customer, the employee the key or leave it out where anybody who breaks in can get to that key. You've got to lock that up in probably the same place where you keep your sales deals so that only a manager can access that key and give it to the salesperson if something happens to their, to their safe. And doors to offices with customer information are locked. So that's a checklist that I have to walk around the dealership every night for whoever, because I'm the customer information security officer. You do have to appoint an officer, and uh, that and, and that person is responsible to making sure that the processes are constantly, constantly in place. <clears throat> so you think, that you, did you do that all the time with the dealerships you worked at? Right. I did none of that, but I was I also wasn't in charge of any of those pieces. But I, I can tell you that it's funny as you as you you know go through the list, and it's like none of these things by themselves are to me are like are shocking. But you think about the the volume of all of them, and it reminds me of as you're talking about, especially that part where you're talking about got to have the safe, and then you got to have the key, but you can't leave the key. Got to lock the key up. It reminds me of those, what are those, uh, escape rooms or whatever they're called? (laughs) People, everybody has to go in and they have to like use all their logic together and like get them, you know, to (laughs) go through like 40 steps to be able to get out of the room, you know, that's what it reminds me of. So if you're thinking about opening, if you're thinking about opening up a dealership, hope you're good at escape rooms. That's what I would say these days then at that point. (laughs) And I've been to, uh, many motorcycle dealerships and I can tell you right now, I've never seen one that followed any procedure like this. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm not trying to shame anybody. <laughs> but the real, reality is I've been to a lot of dealerships and I've not yet seen one that follows all these procedures. So yeah. I did. I went, and I went to a car dealership when I was shopping for a car last year, opened the back, opened the back door to the passenger's area and a stack of a customer's credit information was sitting on the seat. Oh, my God. And, I, and I'll say, car dealerships, that that really surprised me. And, and it may not have been the, the dealership's fault, maybe the customer that did it, but you can see how easy this can get out of hand. Maybe that's why so many people get uh, turned turn around at uh, work in an automotive. You hear there's a big turnover right, in an automotive. <laughs> maybe that's why they're holding them ultra, ultra specific to that, These all these policies, right? Yeah. And there are people in the automotive. I've never heard of a motorcycle dealership. I know it's happened, uh, but I, I've never heard of a motorcycle dealership that's got caught for this. Uh, it, and, but I have heard multiple car dealerships who, have, who mm. do get inspected, and it's only a matter of time as, as the motorcycle dealerships keep getting uh, combined under large uh, groups. It's only a matter of time before they're, they're inspecting them as tightly as they are the car dealerships. Mm-hmm. And the car dealerships are ready for it. They're, 
like I say, I, they're most for the most part, they're they're following all these procedures. Well, and maybe part of these sort of some of these particulars is why, you know, when we're working in in power sports and you get a guy that comes from automotive, you know, how many years in automotive, and he comes to power sports and it's the whole like, man, you guys are so far behind the times. And I always take that as I take that more as like the computer system or the policies in general, like in a light and fluffy sort of a way is what I imagine it. But maybe it's got to do with the sort of uh, layers of regulation that are are upheld, you know, to the standard um, versus, you know, a little more wild west that it feels like, yeah, we're still in, but not not according to the government, but maybe according to you know how they operate until they get slapped on the wrist, right? No, I I I can I mean it, yes, there's a lot of ways in which car, uh, automotive is ahead of us. A lot of uh, dealers are implementing technology and such, but this area, this compliance area, this is the part that we are the are lacking the most, I would say. Well, I guess, you know, okay. in the particulars in different states and different places, too, because having been a district sales manager with a manufacturer, none of this was a part of, you know, my my particulars. Maybe, maybe you know, like a BMW or somebody, you know, maybe maybe they do that. I don't know. If, is that is this any of this part of what your, your, your district reps from uh, like a BMW or whatever, do they review any of this with you or is it all just upon you guys? No, originally we started, like I say, we got the controller from a car dealership who knew all about it. Okay. But when it really came into into play to this level is when we got the uh, software program that comes right from the automotive side in California that handles all the compliance uh, aspects for you. Um, it's, in California, it's called, uh, the program's called HR Hotlink, and if you're a dealer of any type, uh, motor, automotive, um, Motorcycle boats, RVs. I'd recommend getting this program. It helps you. Uh, it ha- helps you walk you through the steps of building a customer information security uh, uh, plan. It stores all the plan in the in the system. It does your HR. It does everything. It's, I don't. I I could never have gotten to this level without that program. It's uh, definitely a lifesaver. Hmm. And I'm sure there's probably something in most states. Uh, actually, dealer track, it's probably a lot more expensive. It's automotive-based. I believe you can do all this through a company called Dealer Track as well. Okay. I feel like some of the... All I've, right. I've heard of Dealer Track, and I, I know who they are, but never you know, seen their, their product. But I know that typically when I hear that name thrown around, it seems like it's an automotive-backed power sports dealership. So maybe that's why. Yeah, it, they do. You can pull credit through them. You can submit for credit through, through multiple banks through them. And they also have uh, uh, red flag laws, customer information security, all the compliance built in from what I understand. Okay. But since we have, in California, we have this whole comprehensive uh, HR hotlink, it also hooks, uh, builds your uh employee handbooks and the training and all of it all into one. So then in the end, you only have to look at one spot. And as an employer, I can say, my employee took the training. It's in the handbook. The plan was built, and it's all in one spot. There's no way in the world the employee didn't get that information because they can't, couldn't have done the training, couldn't have done, couldn't got checked off on this without having 
follow the process. So, right. yeah, it really protects you. And, I, and I'm not, yeah, it's, you know, it's not it's not even that expensive. It's hard to believe. Hope every state has something available soon. All right, the last piece is uh, red flag laws. This is identity theft protection. And I've been reading more and more in some of the dealer magazines how uh, dealerships sold vehicles to the wrong to the person they shouldn't have sold them to. Basically, you know, someone uh, took someone else's identity and came in and bought a vehicle. And it is our responsibility to follow uh, uh, a dealership identity theft prevention program. That's an ITPP. If you, yeah. so uh, you have to build a whole program on how to make sure that you're not allowing someone to come in with someone else's driver's license or information and fill out a spread application and sell them a vehicle and not for not not their wasn't their it wasn't sold to the right person. Uh, that red flag was you need to uh, just like with the CIS you have to have a person in charge of it and you have to have a person who administers it and uh, and people have to be trained on it. And I don't have as much information on the red flag law processes because it's like it's a, it's a it's a whole pro, whole training system you have to go through. But basically, you're making sure that the driver's license is exactly it belongs to the customer. You're checking the driver's license to make sure it looks like it hasn't you know it's not flaking or not possibly not uh, doesn't some way doesn't look real. You make you, they call it the triple the thirty second rule. You look at someone's look at the picture on the ID and you look at their face and you make for uh, thirty seconds and make sure that that absolutely is that person, not because you know it is, not because you want it to. So, uh-huh. uh, I don't. You know, like I said you need to find uh, a, a provider for red flag laws training and and implement uh, that. The only other thing I have left for tonight is uh, you know, uh, California Air Resources Board, although I just heard that uh, our president uh, has revoked California, or at least in the process of trying to revoke California's uh, ability to set our own emission standards. Right now they're still in place because it, uh, uh, California's not going to give up that easily. <laughs> but uh, uh, we have a whole bunch of rules and regulations about selling uh, aftermarket exhausts and uh, selling, uh, installing aftermarket exhaust. The one thing I want to mention for California dealers is if you're following, you know, still following the carb rules and you put an exhaust on a bike that's a carb approved, so let's say you have a Ducati Scrambler and there's an approved muffler for that Ducati Scrambler that is an accessory, you are not supposed to install that muffler until the customer has purchased the vehicle, it has rolled over the uh, curb. Then California vehicle is not sold, so it rolls over the curb, the, the edge of the property. And then after they come back, you can now install that, ex- that legal accessory, but not before. So you can't even display it on a bike. Hmm. And, and you're saying that that... that potentially those regulations are being rolled back or that's at least what right now the administration is talking about trying to do. That's uh, I, when I, I don't know exactly where this falls. Uh, 
one of the article, the news article I read says that Trump has declared that the California Air Resources Board is, does not have the uh, the right to uh, have our own its own set of rules that go against federal, and California has said they're going to fight that. So we're kind of in a limbo area right now, but we still we haven't been told by any government agency that we should not continue to follow those rules. So at this point, we're going to continue following whatever rules there are until we hear from somebody. Hmm. Yeah, what a crazy, I mean, I think back to when I had first, I think I was working at the at the auction when I had first ever heard about that because I had no interaction with sales of units into California except when I started working with the dealers who, you know, had units and they wanted to send them to auction or they, or vice versa, they wanted to buy them and all of a sudden it was all these, well, is it California compliant? Is it, you know, has it got any aftermarket things on it? Has it got a, a tuner, you know, is it, you know, all these different things. And, and I, to me, that was shocking because of course, you know, I live outside of California, but to learn, you know, how, how strict that was. And I was like, man, take the fun out of motorcycling. <laughs> Can't make it sound <laughs> rumbly or, you know, any of these, any of these sort of deals, but what, um, yeah. So carb compliant, sort of like a slip on or something, right? It's, it's not changing any, yeah. anything, uh, too, too radical, but it's given a little more sound, right? So it can't it can't change the uh, can't take the cat off it can't, it can't interfere with the uh, sensors and the exhaust and on and it has to be specifically approved. There is some gray area here. There is there is specifically approved by uh, by CARB exhaust uh, uh, exhaust, but also the regulations state that if it doesn't if it doesn't uh, take off the sensors or take out the CARB then uh, sorry, the cat, then technically it's legal. But And then, of course, there are federal regulations that say if you tamper with the exhaust in any way, it's not legal, but nobody's enforcing those federal rules. So mm-hmm. those are regarding noise, I believe. So, but in California, it's bad. We just, dealers follow the rules. It's, I think it's 23500 is the fine now for uh, modifying selling or or uh, tampering with the vehicle so we obviously you can, you can imagine we don't mess with any of that here mm-hmm. yeah make it certainly quickly quickly uh, a big enough problem you don't want to touch nope sure well it's um it's funny because the some of this you know the the way that we go through this and the the sort of discussions we had tonight was Part of the reason that at one point when I got in the motorcycle business, I was, I swore I was, I was going to figure out shops and do different positions in the shop. And ultimately I wanted to own my own store. <laughs> and then X number of years into it, I said, I don't think I want to do that anymore. And I think part of what you've gone through tonight is the reason for me personally, why I decided I like to be around dealerships, but I don't want to be you. Like, I don't want to be the guy that ultimately drives this whole thing and is, is, you know, behind the scenes, the one that, that's held accountable for all this. That's, that's a tough gig. Yeah. Well, you know, as customers come in and they expect you to stand around and talk to them and entertain them and, uh, be happy to give discounts and, uh, uh, give a uh, sponsor their, their kids motocross and, <laughs> you know. And everything should be all fun and games, and 
they don't realize the amount of stress it is mm-hmm. to run to run a dealership and make it look like fun on top of that. You know? mm-hmm. And it is it is a, still a you know, once you get we talked about this all circles back around to the checklist mm-hmm. and the processes. Once you find start using the checklist and the processes to make sure that you're uh, following all the rules and and uh, then yeah, it circles around back to okay now I'm. I'm part of a dealership that is following all the rules and we're doing everything right. Now I can have fun again, mm-hmm. you know, and the, you don't wake up in a cold sure. sweat as much anymore. <laughs> right. I feel bad because I get to be the, you know, I know that there's at least one person going to listen to this tonight and go, you've got to be kidding. Right. Some dealer principal or some general manager who just didn't know. Right. I remember how, I remember how that felt and, you know, this is the wake up call. You got to, you got to do it right. Well, you know, the whole, when I started, you know, thinking I was going to do a podcast, it was all about like, man, what, you know, what, what having conversations with, you know, uh, dealers and other dealers listening, what exactly is the value add in that? To me, it was always like, well, we're all into performance and different things. And it was like, well, it's about ideas and, and ideas that you didn't know or ideas that are, somehow better performing high performance ideas. Right. So that's kind of where I was going with it. And, uh, certainly if, you know, if you listen and, and, and you can pick up and say, Oh, okay. I thought I kind of knew this, but now you've got me second guessing some stuff. Well, if nothing else, you've gone back and you've sharpened your pencil on your locale, you know, right. Whoever else is listening and, and going back and saying, huh, there was a couple things he said. I need to double check and make sure nothing's changed for me. Cause now I'm not sure, and it's been a couple of years since I've touched it or whatever. That's what I hope we're doing <laughs> with this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. And, and this all changes. I, I mean, like I say, the sales checklist that I that I mm-hmm. keep, that's, that's uh, two pages long and uh, fine print and hyperlinked uh, probably yep. 50 times, yep. that, that thing gets changed every month. Yep. And that, that's, I can't imagine any... You have to use a Google Sheet with links or something similar to that because you can't just have a checklist that you print out and have uh, 500 copies done at Vistaprint and then never change it. It's got to be a living document, and that's right. all these. And that's how it's going to be for all these regulations. I mean, even as I started to have our conversation tonight, uh, it was only uh, two nights ago that uh, uh, the president decided to uh, try to put limits on carbon. That changed the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be interesting. You know, I'm sure California's not going to, like you say, they're not going to take that. They're going to, you know, want to be in control of that for, for their state. But it's certainly, uh, it's not the trend I'd want to see continued on throughout other areas because I'd like to, I like to mess with my motorcycles. But you know, as we know, like you're saying, it once it's in California, it, it seeps elsewhere, places like where I live and Washington and then wherever else, New York, whatever other states that they like to to uh, get up in the business a little bit more of the individual, I think. So. so if you think it's not coming to your state, here's an example. There was an employment, uh, in, the, in the realm of employment law and, and pay, California has case law that changed everything for us. And uh, now it's that was about four years ago when that happened. New Jersey finally, uh, this year, caught on to that case law, and uh, the case happened in California. And they said, "Oh yeah, 
hold my beer. (laughs) (laughs) So they went, they made it even more strict and the penalties even worse. And they started with what California did and, and, uh, and went even further with it. So if you think you're safe, like we think of Texas, which is changing politically from, Mm -hmm. uh, all the tech moving in there is not not as conservative as it once was. Mm-hmm. It used to be Texas was the Wild West. Well, they're going to be uh, their politics are going to could possibly change, and they're going to be uh, more regulations as everybody moves there. And mm-hmm. if you, you if you think what you're doing now is correct and safe, you and it's not going to affect you. You're, it's, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. Regulations are coming, and you need to. You might as well start preparing for it preparing for them now. Yep. Well, and I think, you know, that, you know, obviously you've got, we went over a bunch of real specifics, but, you know, it, this, uh, the thing that I like about, you know, recording and having this conversation in a, in a podcast or whatever is obviously somebody can just refer back to it in a year or two years, 10 years, obviously when, when in 10 years when they're listening, right. And, um, somebody that's how old now, somebody that's 16 years old is, is your 26 year old, you know, up and comer in whatever position in the in the dealership, and they might be like, "What the hell is a fax machine?" He's talking about a fax machine, and the you know, like, people still using <laughs> yeah, fax. What's the, what was that? What were those for? Right? You know, obviously the as these things change, but um, to me, like I say, not knowing a lot of this that we went over, it's just all great reminders to dig back in and, and obviously see these levels of of uh, sort of int- intricacies in intricacies. Did I say that right. I think you got it. <laughs> uh, but to be able to look at it and then just, again, to me it's about, you know, think back, go back, check, check yourself in that, in these different places and, and see that you're all lined up. So, okay. Well, I appreciate you jumping on and being and as gracious as you've been to share uh, documents like the one you had before and then some of this, which, you know, like I said, I'll include the link to that um to that NATO guide that we, we referenced early on um, that you sent over. And, and anybody that's got questions, reach out to me uh, directly. I can connect you with Randy if you've got some questions. Um, you know, obviously he's a busy man. He runs a dealership and he's got a life. But Hey, Brian. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and give my email address out. Oh, perfect. So it's uh, randy at com. Feel free to send me an email. I'll answer as soon as I can. Uh, and I also want to say that if we ever do talk again, I 100% promise it'll be something a lot more fun than what we talked about tonight. <laughs> hey, I, I'm down, and, and we'll we'll do another. We'll do, do some more, absolutely. And and as much would, as this stuff is heavy and not a really good conversational, it's so it's so heavy with value, right? And to me, in my opinion. It's it's stuff that you you got to get through, right? In my that's my take anyway. Absolutely, I, I yep. It's not fun, but you tackle it, and then you can be proud of what you've done and and uh, protecting your dealership, and you move on to the fun stuff. Yep. Okay, thanks for joining. Thanks for sharing all this stuff. The three Pete, the one two three. We're done with those, and uh, when we get Randy back on another time, we'll be uh, more conversational than uh, than than a. Uh, a couple of accountants talking to each other with their fun talk, right? <laughs> Thanks for joining, Randy. And uh, and anybody, uh, you heard his email, uh, reach directly out to him if you get questions or something you need clarification on or you want to sort of pick his brain on something. 
Um, please do that. And thanks for listening. 